0: The word that I was led to think through is pure, pure discipleship. The word pure means free from any contamination, free from any contamination. We were on a canoeing trip one time, me and nine friends, and we were in in Tennessee. We were coming up the Cumberland River north into Kentucky, and uh, the water was at flood stage. It was awesome. We had to do hardly any work because the water was just moving so fast. Uh, but we were on the river for four days, and uh, one of the guys brought what's called a catadine filter. And you can put a catadine filter down inside a muddy water pump, and it pulls out water, and it pulls all the impurities out, and you can drink it. And we got to a campsite one night where there was a stream coming out of the mountain. It was crystal clear, and uh, he pulled water out and started catadine pumping in. A couple of guys were like, hey, you, don't need to, you don't need to purify that water. It's Look at it. It's crystal clear. It's fine. And he's like, I don't trust any water out here anymore. Like, I, I, I'm going to pump it through regardless. And these, so five of us drank water. And I say us because I was on the good team. And, uh, and, and we, this was like the second day of a four-day rafting trip in the middle of nowhere. Like four days, I didn't see another human being except for the ones I was with. Four days, I never saw another car. We didn't pass a road. We didn't come under a bridge. We were literally in desolation. No cell phone signals, nothing. It was awesome. Two days in, this, the five of these guys are like, yeah, it's crystal clear mountain water. We can drink it, right? And uh, and they do. And we drink ours out of the Katadyn filter, and we didn't get diarrhea. The other five did. So uh, they were horribly sick, and that carried on through until the end of our trip, until that stuff worked its way out of their system, and they were taking ciprofloxacin and trying to flush all that stuff out of their system, but the reason I share that is the water may have looked pure, may have had the appearance of pure water, but it obviously had some parasites in it that did not agree with the human digestive system. So when we look at the word pure discipleship, I think we can say that we can look like disciples sometimes and we can act like disciples, but are we pure disciples? Because the definition of pure is free from any contamination. And what does the word disciple mean then? If if pure is free from any contamination, we're saying pure pure discipleship, a disciple is a personal follower of Jesus. So a pure disciple would be a personal follower of Jesus free from any contamination. What does that look like and why why do we need to unpack that? was because when Jesus sent the 12 out and said, this is where my church is going to be built upon, he sent them out into a world knowing that he had equipped them as his disciples, that he had filled them with his spirit, that he knew that they knew him. Turn with me to John 13. John 13, we're going to look at verses 34 and 35. That's on page 622 if you're using the Bible in front of you. John 13, 34, and 35. I think we actually touched on this verse last week or two weeks ago. Jesus is talking and uh, he's teaching. And he looks at the disciples and he says in verses 34 and 35 of John 13, a new commandment I give to you. Now just stop there and think. If you were in the room and Jesus, who you had been walking with and had been personally teaching you and you had believed that he was the son of God, he says to you, I'm about to give you a new commandment, don't you think your ears would perk up? Don't you think you'd be like, whoa, 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 this is like earth shattering, like what? What? It would be like all of a sudden Picasso coming out of the grave and saying, I'm going to paint one more painting, right? Right? This is Jesus walking with them, talking with them, teaching them. He's gone through all of it. He looks at them and says, a new commandment I give to you. I think when I put myself in the story, I think that there's a hush over the crowd and there is a abated anticipation. What's he going to say? And then he says this, that you love one another. Oh, that's not new, Jesus. That's riddled through the law. I mean, you've been teaching us that since day one. What do you mean, love one another? That's not new. But then he adds the last part of this, and that's what makes it a new commandment. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the command, okay? We're not going to get into 35 just yet. 34, the new command. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we're to model our love for one another at the same level that Jesus showed love for one another. The way Jesus modeled and displayed love for all mankind, that is how his disciples are to show and model love for all mankind. And then he adds this. It's sort of the blessing. It's the icing on the cake of the command. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, how will you know if how will the world know that you're a disciple of Jesus if you don't live like Jesus? That's essentially what he's saying. How will the world that you're interacting with, you've been placed in, know that you are a disciple of Jesus if you don't live, love, and act like Jesus? When I was a kid, I used to show animals at the county fair. I say animals, it was one animal, and it's embarrassing to talk about because I showed rabbits at the county fair. Not horses, not steer, not goats, which are even a step in the right direction. Not pigs, no. I showed rabbits at the county fair. I didn't have a rabbit farm. I had two rabbits. My parents had to constantly remind me to take care of. And I only showed rabbits because if you showed something in the county fair, you got a little bracelet, and that got you into the county fair all week for free. So I had to give up, like three hours on a Saturday to go to the rabbit show, which I never won. But I got my bracelet, and I was able to go to the fair all week, right? One thing I loved about the fair was my friends that were there, and a lot of my friends were into horses. And horse culture is a whole different thing. It's a whole different animal. And at the time, Garth Brooks was huge, by the way. I mean, he was the man. You know, friends in low places had just come out, and, uh, I mean, he was everywhere. So Garth Brooks wore these shirts that that were like, now I call them Garth Brooks shirts. Does anyone know what I'm referring to? They were buttoned down, long sleeve shirts that were patterned. And they, I don't know, nobody else rocked those shirts like Garth Brooks did. And I wanted some. So I had one or two of these shirts and I had a pair of black cowboy boots. And when I went to the county fair, I dressed like Garth Brooks. The reason I say that is, is because several times my buddies would be like, why are you dressed like Garth Brooks? You know, like I, all I needed was that big microphone to come in front of my face and a cowboy hat. I never had a cowboy hat. I never had the big belt buckle either. But it, it's like when people saw me, when my friends saw me or were making fun of me, uh, poking fun at me, I, should, I shouldn't say making fun of me, but uh, poking at me, it was based on what, what I was trying to look like and what I was trying to portray. Why are you trying to look like Garth Brooks, right? And all it took was just a shirt and a pair of black cowboy boots, pointy toe and all, right? So how did the world know, how did my friends know that that's who I was trying to be like? I wasn't necessarily like singing Friends in Low Places and, you know, the thunder rolls any chance I got. But I was dressed like this country superstar, right, on my way to the Oak Ridge Boys concert with my mom. That's a true story, too. Uh, the reason I say that is because what Jesus is saying here is how in the world does the world that's going, that I'm sending you into, and they didn't completely know what he was talking about yet. He hadn't died on the cross yet. They didn't completely understand all of the ramifications of what it meant to love like he did. They knew up to that point what it looked like. But they did not have a full picture yet. We have the blessing of a full picture. And so he looks at these followers and he says, love one another just as I have loved you. Go and love one another. And that is how the world will know that you're my disciple. Notice that he doesn't say, this is how the world will know you're my disciples, by how many degrees you have hanging on the wall. This is how the world will know know you're my disciples, by how uh, good your church attendance record is. This is how the world will know you're my disciples, by how many committees you've served on in the local church. This is how the world will know you're my disciples, by by, uh, how, how many Bible verses you can quote, and how many Awana books you worked your way through in elementary school. Josh is what I'm talking about. Josh, did you ever win a Timothy Award in Awana? All oh, right, there we go. So you're not as good a Christian as I thought you were, OK. <laughs> now, I always pick on my wife because she was active in Awana, and she won what's called the Timothy Award, like three times, and it's because Timothy Award was for the person that worked their way through and memorized all the verses in all the books every year. I never won the Timothy Award. I was more like Josh. Uh, I went to Awana for the games. But that's not the kind of stuff that, that is being said in here, that Jesus says, these are the things you hang your hat on. These are the things that the world will know you're my disciples. The world will know you're my disciples by these arbitrary things that you've created. No, he says, this is the way the world will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another and remember he's defined love a few times he's defined love by saying he personally is love and he's defined love right here by saying love is is doing what i've done not only am i love i've modeled it for you i have embodied it for you i have shown it for you the world will know you belong to me by looking and living and loving like me that's what he says so when we look at pure discipleship, that verse has to reorient our thinking. So how will they know? Our love. That's really our task. If, you want to, if you're a task-oriented person and you want to know, Jesus, what do you require of me? Jesus, what is your will for my life? Right, That's a big question. I remember sitting as a 13-year-old with my father-in-law. It wasn't my father-in-law at the time, obviously. But uh, I remember sitting down with him and saying, I just want to know what God's will for my life is. And so we just opened the pages of the Bible and started studying it together. And I get frustrated with him because he's never answered my questions. And as I get older, I realize the answer to what is God's will for my life is riddled through Scripture. It's just live like Jesus. That's how the world will know who you belong to. That's your task, if you will. That's the definition of being a disciple, is our love, our our love for one another, how we live that out, how we serve one another, how we come alongside one another. Jesus was selfless. The only time that Jesus could have been ever accused any morsel of selfishness was him walking into quietness and solitude to commune with his father, the rest of his time was given to others. But what comes before that? See, so what comes before that? We have to follow Jesus first before we can be a disciple of Jesus. And that led me to uh, Matthew 28, if you, or Matthew 11, I'm sorry, Matthew 11. Turn there with me if you would. That's on page 563 if you're using the Bible in front of you there. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29. Jesus says this, and I'm sure you've heard this before. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. That's a pretty common passage. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I will give you time to take a nap. He doesn't say, I'll strap a hammock in the backyard and give you the day off. He says, I will give you rest. But then he follows it with this, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. I didn't know what that meant. Whenever I, I remember hearing that as a kid and not really knowing what that meant. But I did grow up in, in at least close to an agricultural society. I had relatives that, that, had, uh, that had farm animals. I had friends that lived close to farms. And so there was enough there that I at least understood some what they were talking about. But it's a farming analogy that Jesus is using here. A farming analogy. And so the, a yoke... What Jesus says is a yoke is a piece of wood. At the time, it had wood underneath it or metal underneath it. And you would put the wood rack on the top of two ox. And it would become a team of oxen. And there would be a metal or a wooden bracket that came under their necks and hooked them to this piece of wood together. And you would have power from two ox plowing your field together. But where one went, the other one went. It was pretty common in the culture that Jesus is speaking to for them to understand this. And so he's saying that, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's speaking to a group of Jews. He's speaking to a group of people who had been laid heavy with the law. The law was never meant to be a burden. When God gave it, it was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to provide light. It was meant to provide us hope. It was meant to point us towards something better than what we had in front of us. But over the years, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees had gotten a hold of this and they had made the law into something that was never meant to be. And they laid it on top of the shoulders of the people and basically convinced them that without the high priests, without the Pharisees, without the Sadducees, there was no hope for them. You aren't obeying the law. So Jesus, as he's teaching these crowds and he's looking out at the people and Jesus knows the hearts of the people, he says, just come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's what he means when he says that. You've got stuff piled on you that feels like labor and feels heavy, but it was never meant to feel like that. Come to me and I will give you rest. Follows that with the same train of thought, take my yoke upon you. Take this, this beam that sits on the back of my neck and put yourself in the other one. Now, the way that they would train animals on a farm is they would take the young ox and they would put the young ox that they wanted to train to do the plowing and they would hook it in the same yoke as one of their toughest and strongest, most reliable ox. And then the smaller one would learn and usually sometimes get dragged along by the bigger one. But the bigger one knew his job and knew what he was supposed to do and carried most of the weight. Most of the weight and the responsibility for the plowing fell on the shoulders of the more mature and more well prepared ox. And so the ox would have, the younger one, would have learned from it and his load would have been gentle. It would have been easy his burden would have been light compared to what the other ox was carrying. And that's what Jesus is saying. You come to me if you, are, if you labor and you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this is where Jesus kind of doubles down on what he means by rest. Because he, before he just says, come to me and, you will, and I will give you rest. And then he says, come and partner with me. Put my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Walk the same path I'm on. Walk the way I'm walking. Walk at the pace I'm walking. Turn when I turn. Do as I do and as I say. And at that point, you will find rest for your souls. A rest that no nap can ever provide for. You will find rest for your soul. You will see that the, that the calamity and the burden that you feel from the religious system of the day that's piling on you, expectations that don't come from me, Jesus says, you will find that there is rest that comes to you. Rest to your soul, rest that cannot come from any other source. That's Jesus calling out. Jesus was not begging people to follow him. You remember, this is the same guy that turned to a crowd that was following him and says, you need to consider the cost of following me. This is the same Jesus that had harsh words to his own followers like, like Peter, whenever he told him, you're going to deny me three times. And, and then other times when Peter, Peter sort of rebukes Jesus and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. This is the same Jesus that looked at the teachers of the day and said, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but the inside is just full of dead man's bones. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's full of filth and mold. You are brood of vipers. That's the kind of language that he used when talking to the religious leaders of the day. I've heard it said that Jesus reserved his most harsh interactions for religious people and his most kind and tender interactions for the people that society was saying was the worst of the worst. So Jesus is teaching to the masses here, and the teachers of the law are there, present. And he's saying, just come to me. If you labor and you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle. I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then verse 30, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying there is you cannot fulfill the requirements of the law. And if you try, it will feel like a burden and you'll never be able to accomplish it. So take my yoke upon you because it's easy, comparatively speaking, and my burden is light because I'm doing all the work. That's what Jesus says. He says, I'm doing all the work and I'm okay with that. It's not a vindictive, hey, I'm doing all the work here. It's Jesus saying, I'm doing and have done all the work. And I'm okay with that. Just partner with me. Follow me. Commit your life to me. Now, years and years before that, this week I had lunch with a really close friend. And uh, he was sharing with me some things that God was sharing with him over the summer. And uh, I knew what I wanted to preach on. I had these passages in mind. And I had my notes written. And so... uh, we sat down for lunch, and he shared with me this passage of Scripture, and it was like, that's it. That's, that's what I felt like I've been missing. He had no idea that this is what I was thinking about preaching through and what I felt God was laying on my heart. But he led me to this verse and was sharing with me what God was doing in his heart, and it blew my mind. It's one of those verses that uh, I don't remember ever reading. You ever come across one like that, where you read it and you think, okay, that's new as of yesterday. That could not have been in there before today. Like, I when was this Bible printed? But, I mean, it's been there for thousands of years, and somehow my mind has either read it and forgotten about it, or maybe I've never really read it. And it's in the book of Jeremiah. I would, turn, I would ask you to turn back there with me. It's in the Old Testament. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's 434. You're going to go... If you go to the book of Isaiah, you've gone too far, keep coming this way. It's Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. Now, to give you some background on what's happening here, Jeremiah had a very tough job. Jeremiah was a prophet. Jeremiah was what we refer to as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was told by God that you will be a witness and a prophet to my people. And you will be my mouthpiece. That's how God spoke to people is through the prophets then. And as the prophets are speaking for God, the call is to repent. Come back to God. Repent. Give give up your sinful ways and come back to a God who deeply loves you. That was the call of a prophet. The call of a prophet was to look at people and, and what we would say in our, in our verbiage, call a spade a spade. A prophet wasn't afraid to confront sin. A prophet was very unpopular because a, a prophet would come into a town or a village and he would, he would meet with people and he would tell them, this is what the Lord has told me, you have strayed and you need to come back to God. So Jeremiah's job was to remind the people that God still was worthy of their love and affection, that they needed to draw back to God. But God gave him this caveat at the front end of his prophet job. Oh, by the way, no one will ever listen to you. They will continue to stray down their path. You will continue to be faithful. That's your call, Jeremiah. Be faithful, but know that you Won't ever grow a church. Know that people will never really give two hoots about what you're saying. They will not turn their hearts back to me. But Jeremiah, you be faithful to this call. So when Jeremiah speaks, he's speaking to a group of people who have been told so many lies. Lies like the people in Galatians had been told. Lies like God... God only will love you if you obey the law. And God wants you to be happy. And so all these false prophets had come in. And so now they're able to, the people in Jeremiah's there are able to pick and choose what they want to hear and listen to. And Jeremiah is speaking truth, but truth doesn't sound as appealing as some of the other people's messages. So Jeremiah, I just kind of don't want to listen to you because that guy over there said something a little better. It sounds nicer. It sits better in my stomach. So I'm just gonna, just gonna head over to that church. We're gonna get over there. I'm gonna listen to what he says. Jeremiah says in verse 16 of chapter 6, Thus says the Lord. Jeremiah says that because he's saying, Listen, this is not from Jeremiah. This is coming from God. Listen, people, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Listen to the response of the people when Jeremiah speaks for the Lord. I want you to notice a word that shows up over and over and over again. Can you find it? There's one three-letter word that shows up several times in this verse. What is it? And. And is an addition word, right? So stand by the roads. Let's, let's look at this again. God is saying to his people, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. There's a formula there, right? The formula says that God's saying, stand by the roads and look. And ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. Ask the direction you are supposed to go. And then walk in it. And then you will find rest for your souls. I added the then part. That's just how my mind comprehends it. When the people heard this, their response was, we will not walk in it. Sure. Sure. We'll stand by the road. Sure, we'll look. Sure, we'll ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, but we will not walk in it. Because what you're requiring of us just doesn't sound as appealing as what some other teachers have told us. What you're telling us to walk in just doesn't sound near as appealing as what some other prophets in this town have told us we should be walking in and the way we should do it. Now, like I said, we have the benefit of the whole of Scripture. We already know the end of the story. The people in this day did not. The people in in the Gospels did not. We do. So we can look ahead and see from this moment, we can look forward and we can see passages like John 13, 34 and 35 when Jesus says, Love one another just as I have loved you. Go and love one another. This is how the world will know you're my disciple, by how you love one another. And then we hear this. This is this is. Most scholars believe that Jesus is hearkening back to this moment because whenever in Matthew eleven, whenever he says, "For my, uh, come to me and you will find rest for your souls," and it's it's like in Matthew eleven, if at the end of this moment, the people looked at him and said. We will not walk in it. It's that moment where we, we hear the truth. It penetrates our hearts. We say, we need you, Jesus, for salvation. There's no other way to live than in the way of Jesus. If you're here today and you're a believer, I believe you had that moment. If you have not had that moment, then let's talk. A moment where you understand that, that the, the cross was for your benefit, that the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection was for mankind. It didn't get him anything. He gained really nothing. If you're looking at it from a human standpoint, Jesus almost gained a headache by, by continuing to have the same kind of conversations with his followers till the end of time. The cross was difficult for Jesus. It was hard for Jesus, and he did it willingly for us because we needed a way back to God to have any hope of salvation. Sin had ruined us. So Jesus comes and makes a way, a better way, and then he says, do it like I did it. Love like I loved what was important to me, make those things important to you. The things that were of utmost importance to me, make those things of utmost importance to you. And as you live and love like me, that is how the world in which you are placed will know who you belong to and who your true allegiance is to. I have an fill- uh, eagle's hat. I have an eagle's jersey. One could think all football season that I am a diehard Eagles fan. But if you put the Eagles against the Steelers, you will see a different Adam come out. The Eagles jersey will stay in the closet, and the Palomalu jersey will come out. You will know by my behavior in that moment where my true loyalties lie. So, fair weather, yeah, maybe. Depending on the circumstances, sure. But what Jesus is saying is consistently, look at my life. Look at my life. Remember on the road to Emmaus, what was of vital importance to teach these men as they walked along the road? was he opened the scriptures, and he taught him all the things concerning himself. So whenever we look at scriptures, we have to look at Jesus as the main character in all of scripture. And Jesus is saying, look at me, follow me, follow my lead, live like I live, love like I love, serve how I serve. And that is how the world will know who you truly belong to and where your allegiance truly lies. And like we talked about two weeks ago, when you stand before your maker one day, if we live and love like that, like Jesus, we will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But if we do not, we can stand in front of him and say, this is my track record, this is my resume, these are all the good things I did in your name, Jesus. And he says, that's, that's, that's quite an impressive piece of paper. But you need to walk out now because I never knew you. See, being a disciple is not about what we do. It's about who we've become. Discipleship is a process of becoming more like Jesus. It's it's the flushing out of sin. It's the looking at the hard teachings of Jesus and saying, that has direct implications to my life, and I need to change some things. If I want to live and love like Jesus, there's some things that have to change. So here I am, almost 40 years old, pastoring a church, and still haven't arrived yet, still God flushing this ugliness out of my heart and saying, I want to make you more and more into my likeness. It's a process. It's a lifelong process until you stand before me and hopefully hear that well done, my good and faithful servant. So, my question that I have to wrestle with, the question that I want our church body to wrestle with, if you're here today, I think you need to wrestle with this question. God is saying, stand by the road and look and ask for the right way to go and then walk in it. What is your response? What is your response? Will you be like the people of Jeremiah's day and say, we will not walk in it? Later on in 17, it says, I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpets. But they said, we will not pay attention. (laughs) We will not walk in it. We will not pay attention. And it led to their demise. What we know is the way of Jesus. What we try to deepen ourselves in is in the way of Jesus. That if Jesus did something, and Jesus loved a certain way, and Jesus was willing to go without certain things for the sake of the kingdom, then we are to look at Jesus and say, so will I. So will I. Jesus, if you're saying that this is important, then I will say it's important. Jesus, if you're saying that this cannot, this kind of behavior, these kind of decisions, this kind of arrangement that I've made for myself, it's not congruent, it doesn't line up with who you are, therefore it has to go. That's what a disciple, that's what a disciple's posture is. That's the truth of the way of Jesus. In John 13, when he says that, he follows that up by telling telling Peter, you're going to deny me. And starting in chapter 14, he looks at this crowd and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He says that in response to Thomas's question that says, How can we know the way? Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus says, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So when you understand the person of Jesus, you understand the sacrifice on the cross, you understand that the redemptive work of the death, burial, and resurrection affords you eternal salvation. And you, you add that to all the things that we know Jesus did and all the things Jesus said and the way Jesus lived and the way Jesus' character defined his existence. And then we read him say, live like I lived, love like I loved. Do what I do. That's how the world will know who you belong to. So any arbitrary thing that we've created out here to say, this is how people will know I'm a Christian. This is how people will know that I'm a follower of Jesus. If that stuff isn't what Jesus said and what Jesus said was of utmost importance, it's probably not the thing you should hang your hat on. Are we serving one another? Are we loving one another? Are we, are we seeking to know the heart of Jesus? Are we looking at the hard teachings of Jesus and saying that has direct application and conviction to my heart? I've got to get rid of it. I've got to change things up. I've got to make some hard decisions. I've got to, I've got to break off certain things that are happening in my life. I've got, to make some, I've got to have some hard conversation because the way of Jesus is more difficult, but it's better. When Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. In another part of his teachings, he says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You're on the winning team. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it doesn't feel like Jesus loves you at all. But I promise you, no other entity in the world has ever died to give you eternal life the only one that's done it. He's the only one that ever will do it. He's the only one worth giving our lives to. So our posture should be one that says that if I am a follower of Jesus, I am a disciple. I am a lifelong learner. So if Jesus says it's important, so will I. That is the posture of pure discipleship. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you that sometimes it's heavy and it's hard, but I also thank you that on the other side of it, feeling difficult and feeling hard, on the other side of that, we have the hope and the promise that you afford to us through your son, that you tell us you're going to prepare a place for you, for us. Lord, that you, you promise us that though your way is better, that you are the way. Lord, your, your scriptures and your life are chock full of things that are hard to obey. But you have given us your spirit to walk in power and authority. So I pray whenever you see your church, what you see is faithful. When you look at your bride, you find us to be faithful to you. When you examine our hearts, you find them being ones that have a posture that says, I want to be more like Christ. What should I do? How should I do it? And when we don't find answers in ourselves, we go somewhere to get answers. We're walking with one another in discipleship. We're walking with one another in love and in life. Thank you for giving us such a clear example. Pure discipleship is a posture that says, Jesus did it, so will I. Thank you.